0: I'm confident this morning that every single one of us knows what it's like to feel alone. I'm sure of that because all of us as human beings experience that from time to time. There have been several times when I personally experienced feeling overwhelmingly alone. One of those times was when I landed in New York City with all of the stuff that I had hauled with me from Iran. The loneliness began to build as I boarded the plane in Tehran and left for the United States to go to college, knowing that I was going 14,000 miles away and my parents would be over there in Iran, and it wasn't like today when you could call and Skype and all the other things that you can do, and um, I I think it kind of hit me when I landed in New York, and I kind of gathered up all all of my stuff, and I was in this city with millions and millions and millions of people swarming all around me, doing their thing, and I was literally feeling extremely alone, all alone. I'm very grateful that my parents uh, taught me how to function alone, even as a young kid traveling all by myself. But it was different this time because I got on this plane and I knew that I wasn't just going to turn around after a vacation or a brief time away and, and head back home. It was truly an experience that uh, impacted me greatly. I remember also being in college and having lots of people around me in class and so on, uh, but feeling very much alone, very much alone. There was another time, it may surprise some of you to, to realize this, because maybe this will identify with some of your feelings and experiences, but there was another time when uh, Ruth and I were at her mother's home with all of the family, the Rentschler clan, and we were all sitting around these, these tables together, and we'd had some, we had some, some uh, soup, as the usual tendency was, and so on. And I remember just sitting there surrounded by all these people my wife, my kids, uh, all of these, these uh, brothers in laws, and so on, and a wonderful, wonderful mother in law, mother, basically, and, and just sitting there and having this sense of overwhelming aloneness was the strangest and weirdest thing and people were sharing things about their challenges and their blessings and so on and I remember I remember just blurting out saying you guys are all so blessed so fortunate it didn't hit me until after the event was totally over and we'd left and gone home and I think it may have been a week or two later, it didn't hit me that, that I was talking to family. And yet I felt alone. You can be in a marriage, a good marriage, and feel alone. You can be in a church sitting right here this morning and feel alone. And we know that God calls us to be a church and to be connected to one another. And sometimes you hear people say that it's, it's really nice to have someone with skin on. They talk about God, you know, and they say God's out there, but he doesn't have skin. It's nice to have someone with skin. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that God has thought of everything. And God has even made provision for those times when even skin is not enough. Jesus left his disciples. And in John chapter 14, he tells them, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, mind you, they are going to face the greatest crisis of their existence. They've spent three years with Jesus Christ every day, watching, observing, walking with him, experiencing his wisdom and insight, watching miraculous deeds, witnessing the calming of all the oceans and the storms. and I mean, they've, they have spent time, not just once a week, but every single day and night with him. And he's telling them that he's leaving them. And he says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. Now, you've heard people say things like that to you. And you feel like telling them, oh, yeah, yeah. If you were in my shoes, don't let my heart be troubled. So Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, are many dwelling places. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and come back that where I am there, you may be also. And then he goes on in the 14th chapter of John verses 16 to 27 to talk about a promise. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another helper, another comforter. Another one of the same kind. Jesus is saying, I will give you, when I go, I will send to you one that is just like me, just like me, that he may be with you forever, forever. The spirit of, the tr- of truth, the world cannot receive, but because you know him, he abides with you and will be in you. He will be in you. And we know from looking at the passages in the scripture that in Acts chapter 2 we find the permanent coming of the Spirit of God to indwell the church, to indwell all believers. The promise of Jesus is the Spirit at Pentecost. And the Spirit of God will come, he says, in that day, I'm in my Father, and he says, You will be in me and I will be in you. So it's it's not just that a segment of God is going to come and dwell in the believer and in the church. God himself is going to dwell in the believer and in the church. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He says, my Father will love you. and He says, we. We will come and make our abode in Him. We. You'll notice that Jesus says, I will send the Spirit. Then Jesus says, I will come and be with you, and you will be with me. And then it says that the Father, that we, God, will come to permanently dwell within the body, the church, and every single believer. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? We just celebrated God with us. Emmanuel. And here we're looking at God in us. Not just with us. God in us. Christ in you, Paul says in Ephesians. The hope of glory. And Christ in us. The Holy Spirit in us. Is all Part of his plan, his purpose, and the incredible blessing of being part of his family. He says that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrances all that I said to you. And then he ends that section in chapter 14 and verse 27 by saying, Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Don't be troubled, don't be fearful. The Spirit is coming. I'm coming. The Father is coming. We are going to come. And we're going to be with you. In chapter 16, he goes on, John describes for us how Jesus goes on to communicate and to teach the promise of this Spirit. He says, I'm going to Him who sent me, beginning in verse 5. He says, none of you ask me where you where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, you sorrow, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. You know, the the feeling that I had leaving leaving Iran and coming to the United States uh, by myself, the permanency of it, the reality of it, all of that, sorrow filled my heart. If you have a friend that's really been a special friend to you and they no longer are, or they leave, or they're gone somewhere else, or they pass away, sorrow fills your heart. You feel like... A part of you is gone. That special person in your life is no longer there. Some of you have already experienced some of that with, with Jim Kleber. I mean, he called 40, 50 people every single week for Bible studies and all kinds of stuff. And occasionally, you know, you feel like picking up the phone and calling Jim. Well, he's not there. He's in an incredible place. He's in a wonderful place. It still doesn't change the reality that we're on this side and he's on that side and we miss him. Well, Jesus is going to leave and the disciples are sad. They should be. They're thinking, wait a minute, we spent all this time with you. Now you're leaving. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And one of the amazing things about the birth of Christ is that God became literally confined to his own creation in the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, he fulfilled the mission of of which he was sent to come and to seek and to save that which is lost, to give his life as a ransom, to die on the cross, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. He did what only he could do. But Jesus could not be with everyone. He was confined by the body, the tent. And Jesus is telling his disciples, it's to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine how often the disciples wanted FaceTime with Jesus? I know there were just 12 of them. I know they hung out a lot. I know they were always together. But can you imagine that? And Jesus often would take a couple of them aside and the other ones would, would probably feel like, you know, I want some of that time. I want some of that special one-on-one with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage that I go so I can send to you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. He will come. He will come. I will send Him to you. And you can have me permanently, every single one of you, all of you, all the time. Not just part-time. All the time. And He says here in John 16 that, the Holy Spirit will come and will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we're going to get into what that means a little bit later on. But the thing I want you to understand is that this is the promise of God to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit, needs to be recognized not just as a force, not just as an it, not just as uh, something that occasionally does something or some kind of a genie when you rub the Bible or something. The Holy Spirit is God. I want you to listen to these verses. And you'll notice in these verses there is a repetition of the three individuals, the three specific parts that make God who God is. The Father, the Son, and the spirit Matthew 28:19, "Go therefore, make disciples baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit." First Corinthians 12 verses four to 6, he says, "There are varieties of gifts but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all these things in all persons." Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. The graces of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. Ephesians four, four through six. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. First Peter one two according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Jude 1, only one chapter, by the way, verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God in three persons. One God with three distinct focuses and ministry. One God. One God. Neither one is less than the other as far as being God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all equal. Jesus himself said in Philippians chapter 2 that... That being equal with God was not something that he felt he had to hold on to. He let go of that so he could embrace humanity. So he could take on the form of a man. And live his life on this planet and die for us on the cross. Be gloriously resurrected. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning God, Elohim, God, plural, not singular. Dropping down to verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, it says God said, Let us make man in our image. Let us. Not a plurality of gods. It's one God. It's Elohim. It's one God in three persons. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Made in the image of God means that we have a a thinker, a feeler, and a chooser. Mind, emotions, and will. The Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit thinks. Romans 8.27 says he searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He feels, has emotions. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We also find some other things about his feelings that we're going to talk about at the end of this morning. But he feels, he has emotions. By the way, the passage in John that we read, we didn't focus on it exclusively this morning. But several times, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit not as it, but as he... With a capital H. Exactly the same way as he refers to his father. And the same way that he is referred to himself. He's God. He thinks. He feels. He chooses. He chooses. 1 Corinthians 12.11 says the same spirit works all these things. Distributing each one individually just as he wills. The gifts of God are distributed by the Spirit of God. He chooses. He chooses. Second Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. It says, Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Lord is the Spirit. Some fascinating things that you uncover when you start to look at this. For example, you see the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5 being God in discipline. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, you have the interchange between the leaders of the new church, in the church, with Ananias and Sapphira, and God. The Bible says that uh, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Chapter one, chapter 5, verse 1. They kept back some of the price for themselves. And with his wife's full knowledge, Ananias did this, bringing a portion of it. He laid it at the apostles' feet. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Because Ananias came and presented it as though he was presenting the entire, the entire sale of the property before the... Leadership of the church. If you read earlier, you find that some of the other apostles did the same thing. Part of Barnabas did the same thing. He sold some property, gave it all the proceeds. And the issue here is not that they were doing this. The issue is that they were they were presenting it as though they were giving all of it. And he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? Why did you present something other than what was real? That's his point. Why did you portray? Why did you portend to do something or to be something other than what you were? There was nothing wrong with not giving all of it. You didn't have to give all of it. There was no compulsion. You didn't have to do that. Why did you do that? Well, maybe he wanted to look like Barnabas a little bit. Maybe he wanted a little more praise. Maybe he wanted a little more accolades. The fact is that he did it for reasons that were not pure and not holy. They weren't right. They weren't righteous. And anyway, he says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us in these matters. The Holy Spirit's the one that directs our paths. He's the one, the Holy Spirit, that tells us give, love, share, call, pray. The Holy Spirit is the one that does that. God does that for us. And God was leading him to give a portion. And he, th- he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give. And then he said, well, I'm going to give. It. I'm going to pretend like I give it all. Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? But the the thing I want you to notice is that in the very last portion, it says, You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Is God. And then calling people, Isaiah 6 8, uh, you find Isaiah saying, I heard the voice of the Lord. The Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here am I, send me. You want an amplification on that, look to Acts 28 verses 25. And then 26 is the same as what he says in Isaiah 6. But in Acts 28, the Bible says, when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. He said, the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father. So when Paul is talking about Isaiah 6 and the Lord speaking to Isaiah, Paul is clarifying that that Lord, that God, is the Spirit. The Spirit is the one that talks and speaks and calls. He's everywhere present. Most of the time we we read these things and we know God is everywhere, but we don't often focus and, and attribute the presence of God everywhere to the Spirit of God. Psalm 139, 7 and 8. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Also, all-knowing. 1 Corinthians two ten and 11 says, The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of god god knows the spirit knows he doesn't have to check in to find out what god wants to say he's god i want to i want to just make a brief comment right now in this regard some people are fearful Of the Spirit. Number one, because they don't understand the Spirit. Number two, because they don't recognize that the Spirit is God and what His ministry and what His purpose and what His work is. They also don't understand the unknown, the unpredictable. And so there's a little bit of a mm, uncertainty about the Spirit. Well, you and I need to remember, as we look at not alone, not being alone ever, as children of God who by faith have come into a relationship with God through Christ, we need to recognize that we are never, ever, ever, ever alone. God is in us, not just with us. And God the Holy Spirit is... According to Galatians six eight, the life giver, he says, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit leap, reap eternal life. He's the one that speaks, Acts 8.26. The Spirit said to Philip, go, join that chariot. The Spirit prays, Romans 8.26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself... Intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit teaches. John sixteen, fourteen, He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Several times in that passage in John fourteen and sixteen, you find that the Spirit of God will in fact be our teacher. He is our resident, professor. Always there. Always present. He's the lover. Romans 15, 30. He says, I urge you, brethren, by the love of the Spirit. By the love of the Spirit to strive together. He's our guide. John 16, 13 says he will guide you into all truth. He's also the one that hinders. He's the one that gets in the way and says, nah, stop. Hold it, don't go. Don't do this. Don't do that. Follow me. Don't go there. Acts six, 16:6 says they, they passed through Phrygia and Galatia region having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Forbidden by the Spirit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 talks about the overarching work of the Spirit as he restrains it says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit restrains. Look all over the world and you say, man, it's really getting bad. Well, you ain't seen nothing yet. God is holding back the forces of evil as he culminates his work. Well, and the Spirit is going to be taken out in his restraining work. Look out. The Holy Spirit leads us. Acts 15 and verse 28. It says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love this verse. seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us as well to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. And then they, they write a letter to the church with the essentials. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit as though the Holy Spirit was present. As though the Holy Spirit was leading As though the Holy Spirit was part of their their group and their gathering, as though the Holy Spirit was working with the leadership and the apostles. He was. He was. And so they knew it and they sensed it and they said, you know, it it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. As though the Holy Spirit is a person. And He is. God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit also directs our lives. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5. It says this, "May the Lord direct your hearts." When you first read that in English, you think, "Okay, well that's obviously talking about, you know, God, Jesus, something like that." But when you look at the passage, you realize just as we looked at earlier when it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with baptism and so on, and you read this in that kind of a context, it says this, May the Lord, the Holy Spirit, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. The triunity is once again being declared. I don't want to get into tons and tons of, of minutia this morning. My, my desire was simply this morning to say, You are never alone if you're a believer in Christ. If you put your trust in Christ, you're never alone. God is not only with you, but God is in you. He's in you. God is in you. And this God, the Holy Spirit, is very much God as Jesus is God, and very much God as the Father is God. And yes, they have a unique, specific focus. But Don't in any way, shape, or form think that they are on some kind of a boss relationship with others. You don't have the Father that's the big cheese, you know, and then the Son, and then the Spirit, and the Spirit is lesser than the Son. They are all God. To treat the Spirit of God as though He is somehow less than God and less than Jesus and less than the Father is to sin against God. The Spirit is God. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that so much of what we do in church, as church, I'm convinced that it is absent an awareness That God is in us. That the Holy Spirit is present. And finally this morning, there's one other thing that the Holy Spirit can be. And that is grieved. You can't grieve a force. You can't grieve something that's impersonal. You can't hurt it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we don't respond when He directs. We grieve the Spirit of God when He leads and we say no. We grieve the Spirit of God when He tells us don't go and we go anyway. We grieve the Spirit of God when He says trust, trust, trust and we say I want proof, show me I can't. That's why the prayer, an honest prayer, just like the disciples, help our unbelief. Strengthen us in this area so that we can believe. The Holy Spirit is grieved when when He gives us those leadings and those encouragements to humble ourselves and to ask for forgiveness. He's grieved when we say, no, 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 not going to do that. That must have just been some passing thought. The Holy Spirit is grieved when clearly the Word of God is is made illumined to our soul and we find out that there are things that we ought to to respond to and do and stand up for. And, and, we, and we say, no, no, no. That's for the fanatics. One of the big differences and challenges that we face is as you move from being a fan of Jesus into a follower of Christ as you become far and more aware of the presence of God the Spirit in your life. And you're willing to give him far greater devotion and commitment. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't pretend something that's not accurate and true. God's in you. The wonderful part of of this is that when you respond and you don't grieve the Spirit, guess what? I know this sounds really simplistic. You never feel alone. Never feel alone. Because often when we feel alone, it's because circumstances have changed. We feel alone because someone has been taken out of our lives. We feel alone because the circumstances and challenges of life are overwhelming and we don't think we can handle it by ourselves. We feel alone because we we feel like special and important people in our lives are maybe not there for us anymore. We feel alone because we're not getting that appreciation and love that we want from those that are around us. But when we acknowledge God in us, You, don't, you no longer have those feelings. Why? Because he meets all our needs. All of them. So this morning, my challenge for all of us, all of us, is let's, let's not try to pretend that we don't feel alone. But when we do, and we face the challenges that we face, let's turn our attention and our focus and our cry and our plea to the one and only who can take that feeling away and give us a sense of confidence so that even if nobody's around for miles and miles and miles or we're in the heart of Times Square surrounded by millions, we live with God. We live with God. We're never alone. Father, how blessed and encouraged we are this morning that we who have put our trust in you, we who have received Christ as our Savior, also receive the promise of God the Holy Spirit to be our comforter, to be a helper just like Jesus was for his disciples. Just as Jesus walked with his disciples and taught the disciples and encouraged his disciples and prayed with the disciples and led the disciples and loved on the disciples and just as Jesus did all of that for the disciples when he was here, we want to celebrate and give thanks to you today that God, Holy Spirit, does that for every one of us. Every single one of us we want to pray this morning Father just for a new and a a fresh awareness a recognition although indwelt by the promise of Jesus we just want to pray Holy Spirit symbolically that you fall afresh on us, fill us, mold us, and make us. Sing this out to the Lord this morning, this chorus. Stand with me, and if God has spoken to your heart, you need prayer for anything, and you want to give your life to Christ,